Hi, this is Jess Chipkin of Crate Free, Illinois. You're listening to 1590 WCGO Chicago Smart Talk and the wonderful Mike Nowak Show starts in 3, <laughs> 2, 1. Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. After 20 years, still Chicago's only deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Saturday morning on 1590 WCGO. Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will... Good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Clean beaches. He's gone deaf in 20 years of answering gardening questions. And she. Uh, here they are Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. High forests, no wetlands will. Good planets are in the main. Right. <laughs> we're we're doing shadow puppets here and mime because uh brandon's uh back there and he can't figure out how to get the mic on to talk to us so he's on the other side of the glass and we're here but we can see him so he can do the hand signals so when mm-hmm. he starts waving frantically <laughs> towards the end of the segment it means Get ready for a commercial, that kind of thing. And if he just cuts us off? Um, and he will do that. Yeah, that, that'll happen eventually. Welcome. Good morning to the Mike Novak Show. Uh, technologically challenged Mike Novak Show because the camera's not working on Facebook. So, uh, Sonar, I know you're not listening, but I wish you were uh, because we can't figure out how to make it work. So there ain't no Facebook Live this morning. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We don't have we anybody. We can't even find the camera. We can't even find the camera. Well, I can see yeah. the camera right there, but the computer can't find Ooh, the camera. Actually, the lights are off on the camera now. Look at that. The power's gone. That's weird. Just like being in Florida. <laughs> the power's it's, gone. Yes, it's just the Just like being in Key West. I got to tell you, okay, I need, uh, you're not, this is, I'm going to commit the cardinal sin of radio, all right, which is you never bust another radio station or uh, network. But I was trying to get some hurricane coverage on the way in. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm listening to NPR. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm just be, so I have some frame of reference when I talked to DeMaio this morning and they get a report from one of their folks in Fort Myers, which is just about to get slammed by hurricane Irma. Now, you know, NPR, anytime they do a report, you know, if they're if they're in Washington D.C., ooh, let's stick our microphone next to the Washington Monument. We can hear the bricks moving, um, and uh, so we can get some audio behind mm-hmm. this. So they do this report from Fort Myers, and they get the woman, and she's in the studio, and it's obviously soundproof, and there's like nothing. So you got you got a hurricane outside somewhere, but there's no sound effects. Mm-hmm. But if I'm having a bowl of cereal, they're going to want to get the uh, the, uh, the the crunch the crunch on that on NPR. So I'm just like, I got to bust <laughs> you guys. It was just ridiculous. It's like you got a hurricane outside. Go get a microphone out there. Turn on turn on the hurricane so you can at, at least hear it. Well, it's like I was watching that that channel that reports weather 
27 hours a day, whether there's something to report or not. And uh, um, I think it was Mike, was it Mike Seidel? Yeah, Mike Seidel. He's standing there on the east coast of Florida, found a puddle to stand in, located between two buildings so that the wind was actually funneling through the buildings. That's cheating, Mike. And 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 trying to do that, that wind blowing that me thing, look. Uh, well, he was doing the wind is knocking me over thing this morning. Yeah, on the Weather Channel. Uh, Except I, the wind I, wasn't there. It's a little goofy, guys. At a certain point, <laughs> it just becomes goofy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, you know, but you got to do it. There's nothing we can do that'll make them stop doing that. You know, it's okay. I, you know, I'm not going to say. That's the most horrible thing in the yeah. world is to have a reporter standing out in the wind oh, for the Weather Channel. Any other station, I'm going to say, now you're just doing it because you guys don't regularly cover hurricanes the way the Weather Channel and does. Weather Channel wannabes. They, yeah, they're Weather Channel. So all these other guys are out there. It's like you're just endangering your life. So don't do that. All right. Hey, welcome this morning. Uh, we will talk a little bit. We think about Hurricane Irma. We're hoping to have Rick DeMaio for a special Sunday report. Uh, probably at uh, the in the second hour, at the end of the second hour. So uh, he'll let us know what's going on. And right now it's apparently slamming right into the keys and moving up to Fort Myers. And I'm worried about Rich Cowgill from Mighty House mm-hmm. who hunkered down. Uh, yeah, and, and Brandon's nodding because the, I, I'm hearing the folks say, what's that island? And I can never remember Marco them. Island. Marco Island. Uh, I heard folks saying this morning, Marco Island is going to be like uh, ground zero and – the, they had the fire chief from Marco Island on today, and he goes, yeah, it's going to be pretty awful. I'm thinking, good God, Rich, what are you doing? Why are you staying there? So I'm I'm hoping he's okay. Um, you know, DeMaio yesterday said, tell him to get out. I'm like, yikes, our meteorologist says, get out. So we got a minute to break here, uh, Brandon, just letting you know. I'll tell I'll tell Brandon when the breaks are. <laughs> That's the way it's going to work today. I'm telling him when the breaks are. And I hope we can hear the music as it comes up. Uh, BK Sharma is going to start research scientist, Illinois Sustainable Technology Center. We're going to talk about pyrolysis, which is turning plastics into oil. I guess plastic bags into oil. Uh, and then uh, we're going to have in the second hour, Stephen Bantillo and William Turley on talk about cleaning up debris. Uh, how appropriate today from these uh, various storms. Uh, we've got uh, all Monarch Festivals and uh, the Streets Alive Festival for Evanston today. Uh, a little of this, a little of that. Adopt a Beach. Potpourri uh, in between our various uh, environmental reports. So we hope you stick around for that. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color perms and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty, you no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. 
Hey, Ron Cowgill. Yes, Mike Novak. How would you like to drive the safest, quickest, and most capable sports utility vehicle in history? Legally? Of course legally. In fact, you would own it. Legally? Stop saying that. I'm talking about the Illinois Solar Energy Association, which is raffling off a 2017 Tesla Model X. You mean the one that comes standard, all-wheel drive, seating for up to seven adults, and up to 295 miles of range on a single charge? Yes. The one that can accelerate from zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds? Yes. How did you know that? I'm reading the script. Oh, well, then you probably know that only 2,500 tickets will be sold. They're 100 bucks each. You can purchase as many as you like, and the drawing is December 7th. Do I have to be present to win? Nope. Do I have to live in Illinois? Nope, just the lower 48 states. Is this the part where we read the disclaimer stuff really, really fast? Nah, this is where we tell people to get details at IllinoisSolar.org. You're good. Yeah. The Scarce Green Fair is back, and the Mike Novak Show is part of it. We'll be broadcasting from the DuPage County Fairgrounds on Saturday, September 30th at 10 a.m. This year, the Green Fair features a free recycling extravaganza, eco-lifestyle workshops, goats and chickens, beekeeping demos, STEM activities for kids, a farmer's market, food vendors, and more. Mike and I love Scarce, so come out be part of the fun. Go to scarce.org for details, and we'll see you there. This is your talk. Do you read me? On 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Come on, is anybody even out there? Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, before we get to BK Sharma, uh, I just want to uh, reiterate what you just heard about us being at the Scarce Fair uh, on the 30th of September. We're taking the show live uh, from the fair, their green fair. Uh, and as we say uh, in the spot, we love Scarce. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kay McKean and her folks and Bev Bev. Uh, and uh, just all those people out there, they're terrific, and they're doing the kinds of stuff we're talking about on the show today, which is reclaiming, recycling, reusing, especially reuse. They do a lot of that with books especially, but all kinds of things, crayons, and what did I take? I took Holiday lights. Wine. I took like 15 years of wine corks out, mm-hmm. to, <laughs> which I had had in a bag because— I didn't want to throw them away because I know yeah. they, they can be recycled, but I never got around to it. And then I realized that scarce would take them, so we shipped a bunch of stuff out their way. Yeah, I'm 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 already looking around the house, going, "Gee, what can I pack in the car and bring out that morning?" Uh, exactly, that's what we'll do. So the 30th of September, we will be out at the DuPage County Fairgrounds for the Scarce Green Fair. We hope you'll come out, say hi, and participate. There's, you know, you can bring stuff. To, uh, go to scarce.org and see what they will be accepting mm-hmm. because they're having a recycling re- extravaganza that day. Uh, it's a good excuse uh, to get the garage or the basement a little cleaner. Uh, so let's go to the phone now and uh, bring in uh, BK Sharma from the Illinois Sustainable Technology Institute. BK, good morning. Good morning, Mike and Peggy. How are you? Good. We are terrific. All right. Now, the the first question I have to ask you is about uh, your name. Everybody calls you BK, but uh, how do you pronounce your first two names? Uh, Well, my first name is uh, Brajendra, 
and my middle initial is Kumar, so I became BK. Yeah. You know, Brajenda, that's not that hard. Brajenda Kumar. Uh, we yeah. could, we could, but everybody knows him as BK. And right. uh, he's a senior research scientist at ISTC. As I said, that's the um, Illinois Sustainable Technology Center. And let me just start off, BK, by saying that folks can see you, hear you speak, uh, see the presentation of pyrolysis, uh, at uh, a symposium that's being done this Tuesday in Champaign that the ISTC and the Illinois Recycling Association together are putting together. Uh, and folks can come down, and it's a half day, but it's going to be uh, wonderful information about plastics and solutions for the the rampant amount of plastics that we have in the world. Last week we had Ken Santowski on the show uh, from Chicago Logistics Service, and uh, he was talking about expanded polystyrene or styrofoam and how he deals with that, and that was a fascinating conversation. But now we've got you uh, because you're going to be making a presentation there. Oh, and by the way, tickets are available, uh, really. If you have any inter- interest in, in plastics and solutions for plastics uh, and how we deal with them going into the future, I will say one more time, and BK, you probably know this, that we create much more plastic than we know what to deal with. Would you Would you agree with that? That's right. Yeah. Uh, our uh, municipal solid waste, it contains uh, almost uh, uh, 12% of the plastic, and only 9% of that gets recycled. So we leave a lot of plastic just out there. Yeah, 9%. Gets recycled, yeah. and you see, I was looking at some of the numbers yesterday. Uh, one of the numbers I saw was that, in terms of film plastic, which you, you've been working on, in film plastic, it, plastic bags, uh, the the plastic that wraps your newspaper, uh, other kinds of plastic like that. The uh, we have, uh, I believe, what was the the number I had here? Um, Three hundred eighty billion plastic bags. That's <laughs> you have my own. You have the number. You went to the blog, didn't you? Okay, I did. <laughs> Thank you. Three hundred eighty billion of them, uh, and and that's more than shopping bags. Shopping bags, they they estimate in the United States is a hundred billion worldwide, somewhere between five hundred billion and a trillion. Shopping bags are used worldwide. Uh, one of the things I wrote in the blog, and thank you for reading it, BK. Uh, you might you might have been the only one. Um, is that um, in Kenya they just instituted a ban on plastic bags, and if you bring in plastic bags, you could get fined. The number I saw was thirty eight thousand dollars or four years in jail. Uh, that is the strictest plastic bag law in the world right now and it just was it just happened in kenya they they actually uh passed the law i believe six months ago and they gave people six months to get ready for it and now they're enforcing it i wow it'll be interested to see how well it gets enforced uh so at, at, at any rate so one of the things you're doing is working with plastic bags uh that's one of the things i wasn't sure of before i talked to you and and read your material bk was are you just using pyrolysis to convert plastic bags, or can you use other kinds of plastic as well? No, we, we use all kinds of plastic. So right now we are working with uh, number two 
number 4 number 5 and number 6 which is basically polyethylene polypropylene and polystyrene oh my goodness i see i didn't realize that i thought it was just the plastic bags uh, uh that uh, that was our first study but mm-hmm. after that we used all these different kind of other plastics also and and which type of plastic are you getting the best results from we are actually getting uh, with uh, if if the poly uh, ethylene and polypropylene uh, both are mixed together we are getting really good results and we are getting almost uh, uh, we are getting almost 100% energy recovery but 80% of uh, these plastic material can be converted into liquid fuel which is in big demand that's amazing all right you're you get and that's what i had read uh, in the information uh, you showed me which was 80% but you're saying sometimes up to 100%. Yeah so uh, 80% recovery that i mentioned is for the crude oil that we get out of it but remaining 20% uh, maybe like 15 to 20% is in the form of gases mm-hmm. and those are also hydrocarbon gases from which can be used to heat the process so we basically don't waste anything whatever plastic is there everything gets converted into some form of energy. That's amazing. Uh so let's talk about the process a little bit. Uh I for folks and I'm and there's most and I and I when I say folks I mean most of us who have n- n- never even heard of pyrolysis. Do you pronounce it pyrolysis or pyrolysis? I'm not exactly sure. What what do you use? Oh, uh, I use pyrolysis. Okay. And what yeah. is what is that exactly? So it's basically uh it's uh, heating this material uh at a high temperature and once you heat this material uh since it's like bigger molecules so it starts breaking down into smaller molecules and you condense those smaller molecules uh, and that's that's what forms most of the uh crude oil that we get out of this uh, process so it's basically heating at a high temperature now in the yeah in the absence of oxygen okay well there's a lot of processes uh in the world that require high temperature and sometimes you know for instance creating ammonium nitrate uh yeah. requires a lot of heat which makes it very expensive to create synthetic fertilizer and explosives of course um and so to some people you know obviously ammonium nitrate is used as fertilizer and 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 growing food uh but it's a very expensive and very intensive process uh from what I've been able to read about yours, it is not the same thing that you actually recover. Uh, you have a net profit uh, when you, when you do the process. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, and the reason uh, we we are able to do that is uh, because we uh, we use some catalyst, and those catalyst uh, reduce the temperature by almost fifty to sixty degrees. And uh, once we use that, then we uh, basically get positive energy balance at the end of the process. Uh that's that <laughs> now that sounds like it's revolutionary, all right? Why why are people not dancing in the streets because you came up with this process? Well, uh right now the challenge is to make this whole process more economical. So equipment cost needs to come down. Okay. And mm-hmm. it needs to be automated in such a way that you don't need a lot of labor cost. So some of the preliminary economic analysis that we did, uh, if you 
if you do it on a very large scale, then it makes sense. But if you do it on a small scale, then you still need to work on how you can reduce the uh, overall process cost. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we are working on right now, how we can uh, make this equipment uh, more affordable and uh, we can bring down the temperature more so that mm-hmm. it can be done at a lower temperature and then eventually it can be it can be done on a distributed scale rather than doing it in one big uh, refinery kind of scale. So right now the scale you're working on is laboratory size and uh, I you know I, let me, I I'm not exactly the right words sure of the right words to use but yeah um uh, and you and you have plans to uh to expand that uh to uh, as you said uh uh increase the volume that you can do it so it becomes a commercial entity that's right so we we did most of our work here uh, at uh, Illinois Sustainable Technology Center uh, on a bench scale uh, equipment, and then we also demonstrated that it can easily be scalable to a continuous process, which we did it uh, in University of Tennessee. They had a continuous reactor, so we demonstrated that all this plastic can be converted into crude oil uh, if we want to do it on a continuous basis also. Our next step is to uh, have an equipment and then do it on a continuous scale so that we have a better data and we can identify what are the places where we can reduce the uh, cost of uh, the process so that overall it becomes more economically attractive process. Uh, we're talking to B.K. Sharma, Senior Research Scientist at the Illinois Sustainable Technology Center. Uh, I might have said institute before. I meant center if I did. Uh, and um, uh, that's a division of the Prairie Research Institute at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. As I mentioned, you will be part of a symposium that uh, the ISTC is doing with the Illinois Recycling Association on Tuesday, and you'll get to see in person this process. Now, when folks come to the symposium, BK, what exactly are you going to show them? Well, we have this uh, small uh, demo system that we use in lab also to convert all kinds of plastics into crude oil. So we'll show them uh, how that whole process works and uh, how how much material we can use in there and what kind of crude oil we get eventually. And then from that crude oil, uh, what kind of gasoline and diesels we can produce uh, from that crude oil. So uh, how... At the the demonstration, how many? Uh, what kind of plastic are you going to put in? How much of it are you going to put in? And how fast does this work? Uh, this process uh, uh, takes uh, it takes around uh, an hour to start producing oil uh, because you have to heat it from room temperature to somewhere close to four hundred degree uh, centigrade, and uh, once. And in this small reactor, we can put around uh, two pounds of material, two pounds of plastic material. Mm -hmm. And then uh, with that much material, we get uh, close to uh, around one one quart of the crude oil uh, from uh, the collection that we make. So how many pounds did you just say? Oh, uh, two two, two pounds. Two pounds of plastic. Two pounds. Two pounds of bags or produces one quart. Yeah, one quart of oil. That's uh, that's that seems like a pretty good ratio. It is, yeah. 
<laughs> you say that very modestly, BK. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, given that, uh, well, well, let me ask you: Do you you're you're a research scientist, and most of the scientists are just sort of concerned with what they're working on in the lab? Do you look at the big picture and uh, the the mess we've gotten ourselves into with plastics? And do you look at this and say this might be a way that we can deal with that? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, since we already uh, produce so much of plastic, and uh, uh, it's 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 there everywhere, you can find this plastic. So I do see that this this may be a potential process through which we mm-hmm. can take care of all that plastic. And I'm I'm a strong advocate of uh, the three R's that we if we can reduce it, if we can reuse it or recycle it, that's the best thing we can do to save our environment. But if any of these things are not feasible, then I think we should recover energy from this material rather than letting it just stay in the environment or letting it go into the uh, landfills so that we can at least have a good carbon recovery from the plastics. And also not extracting more oil if we've already got this petroleum sitting in one form. Right, right. Right. Uh, We we need to take a short break, uh, BK. We're going to come back, and I have a few more questions Mm -hmm. uh, for you before we let you go. Again, that's uh, B.K. Sharma from the Illinois Sustainable Technology Center, and we're talking about pyrolysis, which is turning plastics, yes, your plastic bags, your plastic bottles, your plastic whatever, uh, back into oil. That might not be the solution everybody wants. It's not exactly solar energy, but it's a step in the right direction. You're recovering. That's the way we look at it. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. You can always give us a call, 847-475-1590. We will be right back. The Green Living Expo returns to McHenry County College on Saturday, November 4th, and this 10th anniversary celebration is going to be pretty special. For starters, there will be two fully decorated and locally owned tiny homes on display, the award-winning traveling exhibit Sustainable Choices, and area college and university solar and super mileage team race cars. Visit the Living Lightly Tent, where innovators share their energy savings inventions with you. Of course, more than 70 green exhibits and vendors of all kinds, including invited artists who will be displaying and selling their sustainable creations. Did I mention the Green Living Expo is free and open to the public? And Peggy and I will be there. McHenry County College, Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Go to mchenry.edu slash green expo or contact the MCC Office of Sustainability at 815-479-7765. Hi, I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakenings Magazine. And for seven years, we've been helping Chicagoans to lead healthier, happier lives. Each month, our readers enjoy new information about integrative health and wellness, local foods, raising healthy kids and pets, helping our environment, and living a more sustainable life. Get your free copy of Natural Awakenings in more than 1,100 locations throughout city and suburbs, or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. 
Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Find out what's going on in Evanston. Tune in to Haggerty's Huddle every other Monday on French and Friends. Brought to you by Chicago Lee Magazine. Name the city's top magazine. Don't just read more, read better. We're back with the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki and uh, on the phone... We have uh, my new favorite person in the world. My <laughs> he is my new BFF, uh, B, BK Sharma, because he actually read BFF BK. That's right, because he uh, he read my blog. So uh, he you're gets my, a ding. Uh, BK, you're my friend forever now. Okay, and Thanks, Mike, and uh, he was telling us off air that he had actually read the part about the next part of the show, which is where we're going to be in, in the second hour. We're going to be talking about the uh, recovery of debris from hurricanes and flooding events and that sort of thing. And uh, that's, that is part of your mission, isn't it, BK? You were saying that there was, you had one more R. You were talking earlier about reduce, reuse, recycle. What was your other R? Uh, recovery. Recovery. We have another yeah. one. We add a fifth, refuse. And, um, you know, it, it, folks, consumers have a choice. They can say no thank you to products that are wrapped, that have too much plastic mm-hmm. uh, or that they don't necessarily need. Think about it. Uh, bags, certainly plastic bags at stores in Chicago. There's now a tax. If you go to Kenya, you might get thrown in jail. Uh, and, uh, and you know, environmentalists are doing a happy dance about the Kenya thing. But uh, I don't know how long that will last. Uh, there's uh, a bunch of countries mm-hmm. in the world that have uh, bans on plastic now. Uh, and that's what we're looking at is how do we reduce the glut of plastics that we have in the world? So getting back to your pyrolysis project, BK, and for folks who didn't hear the first part of the, the first segment, uh, this is a process where BK Sharma and his colleagues at uh, the Illinois Sustainability Technology, uh, the Technology Center turn plastics back into oil uh what are the conditions there do you have to does the plastic have to be perfectly clean uh if we're looking at bottles they can be smushed sometimes uh uh, plastic bags get contaminated what are the parameters for using plastic so mike it's uh it's like uh, if you put a good material in the process you get a good quality oil Mm-hmm. but even even if the material has some sand or if it has some residue on it it's 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 not uh, a detrimental uh, material uh, detrimental to the whole process the only thing is that your recovery will be lower so for example if you have a plastic or liners which has like 20% uh, soil uh, on that one then your recovery will be down by that 20% because you are not going to convert that material into oil. Right. So that's, that's the only thing. So for this to be successful at a commercial level, where, what type of products are going to be best for the most recovery? 
So all all these uh, uh, plastic that we use, uh, uh, the polyethylene, polypropylene, uh, polystyrene, uh, all this uh, plastic material, uh, it, it, if it, we can clean it and then we can just granulate that material, then uh, it goes into uh, the smaller uh, equipment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, for bigger equipment, you don't even need to granulate. You can just put all of that material uh, in the process and then you can convert that into oil. And given that you can do the plastic bottles, you said uh, uh, PET and, uh, and well, one, two, six, uh, and plastic bags, that's a lot of material mm-hmm. that can... Yeah, two, two, four, five, and six. Two, oh, two, four, five, and six, not once. Yeah. Oh, oh okay, why is that? Uh, I mean, one, you can do it, but uh, we are not focusing on one because one... The PET plastic is the one that gets recycled to uh, a very high extent. So why why do we need to use it for this process? Really good point. Yeah, that uh, that can be recycled uh, itself already. So uh, uh, yeah, why why go down that road? Uh, so what are the kinds of products that come out of this process that you use? So it's it's just like uh, a petroleum crude oil. Uh, so. All the products that we can make from petroleum crude oil can be made from this uh, plastic crude oil also. We make fuels. Uh, most of the product that comes out of this process is fuel, which is like 20% gasoline and 80% diesel. But we also make some vacuum gas oil uh, that can be used to make lubricating oils or engine oils. And then there might be some residue that can also be uh, used to make uh, asphalt binders. Mm-hmm. For paving and roofing vitamins. My goodness. Uh, I saw also wax. Is that one of the byproducts? Yes. Wax is also one byproduct that can uh, go uh, and it can be used to replace the wax. Uh, it can go into all the applications like candles and uh, wherever mm-hmm. we use the wax. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of the things uh, I'm seeing, and, and you mentioned a lot of different petroleum products, it sounds like the uh, the oil that comes out of this is very versatile. It is. It's just like the petroleum crude oil. So all the all the products that we make in petroleum refinery can be made from this crude oil also. And I saw that uh, one of the things you say is that it mixes well with other oils. So you can use this what as an additive or or add, I'm not sure how you would mix this with other diesels and with other oils. Yeah, the good thing is that this material is very similar to the gasoline and diesel that we are using. So it blends really well with those uh, fuels, gasoline and diesel. And uh, since it mixes well, so there is no problem to use the existing infrastructure. And depending on how much we are producing, it can be blended into the current uh, fuels and it can be used as a drop-in fuel uh, without going through any further processing. So it just mixes and, and and the other fuels adapt to it very well, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness, that's. Uh, have you have uh, anybody has anybody put you in for the MacArthur Genius Grant? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm I'm kind of wondering. <laughs> Not yet, I guess. So once we overcome this hurdle of uh, making it uh, uh, economical mm-hmm. on a distributed scale, uh, then we'll see how it goes from there. No, well, it's. Go ahead. Is is that an issue that you're working on? Is the scalability, or does that then go to somebody else to figure out 
you've got the technology. Someone else now has to figure out how to make it economic. Uh, I'm working with some of the people. Uh, I know uh, that there are some places where uh, it's being done on a larger scale, so mm -hmm. I'm in touch with uh, those people and trying to see how we can help to scale it up and make it more uh, economical. The important question is, are the Russians working on this too? I mean, is this a race? Do we have to do we have to beat the Russians on this? I'm sure they are working on it. <laughs> they, they probably are. Well, actually, the question I do want to ask is what other uh, universities? You mentioned, what, Kentucky, I believe? Uh, is, is Are other universities looking at this? Uh, well, uh, yeah, there are other universities also looking at it, but uh, I know there are some big uh, um, – it's, it's being done on some commercial scale also. So there are mm -hmm. com some companies who are trying to do it on a larger scale, uh, so there are uh, there's uh, one in Ohio, there's one in Niagara Falls area, and then there's uh, one in Michigan, and we are in touch with them to uh, see how we can take this process to a next scale. Uh, okay, now I have to ask uh, a kind of a question that makes me shudder a little bit. You can take the plastics, you can turn them into petroleum products, into oil. Can that oil be used then to make other plastic products i mean are we are, are is this a continuous loop it can be so one of the things that uh, we can do with like polystyrene is we can uh, depolymerize that polystyrene back into styrene and then we can make a fresh polystyrene from that so all these uh, all all this plastic that we are depolymerizing it can be used as a starting material for plastic um so whatever we make from petroleum crude oil, same materials can be made from this uh, plastic crude oil also. Uh, and does that include expanded polystyrene? Can you take styrofoam and put it into the pyrolysis process? Yes, we can do that. Wow. See, this is this is one of our mm -hmm. concerns is that this stuff never breaks down and it's it's there forever. And we were talking to Ken Santowski, who you will meet on Tuesday, uh, about this last week. And 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 part of the problem with polystyrene, of course, it's so lightweight, it's hard to transport uh, efficiently, economically, and um, perhaps we'll be able to uh, turn it back into oil. I, I kind of like this idea. Yes, yes. Yeah. So one of one of the challenges that uh, they uh, that they are briquetting that uh, polystyrene, so that will be very helpful for us also, because if your reactor if you can put more material in that reactor, then your conversion will be higher. Yeah. So if you can convert into uh, more compact structures using briquetting, uh, then uh, that that will be very helpful for the process too. Yeah. Oh. It, it just going back to the whole economics of it. It's it just seems like to get to get companies on board with it at any large scale, recovering and creating more plastic or more polystyrene is going to have to be more cost effective than buying than creating new for them to make a profit. Right. Well, right. Well, we've got to figure out the economics, yeah, but we have a... a start and this is a good start and I hope that you're able to ramp it up and make it commercial soon because we need to do something about the plastics uh, that are floating around our planet. Uh, and one of the guys looking for answers is uh, Dr. BK Sharma. Uh, he is a research scientist, senior research scientist at the Illinois Sustainable Technology Center. BK, I'm going to see you on Tuesday at uh, the conference, which is 
called Revitalizing Plastics Recycling, and this certainly is revitalizing plastics recycling, um, the pyrolysis. And there will be a demonstration. You can still sign up for this event, and you can go several places to find the information. You can go to the Illinois Recycling Association site, which is IllinoisRecycles.org, or you can go to my website, MikeNovak.net. I've got all the links there. Tweeted the link out. Uh, good. Uh, Peggy has tweeted the link out. We've got it on Facebook. We've got it everywhere. So, uh, Or just write to me, Mike at MikeNovak.net. If you're interested in showing up, we still have seats available, even though it's the last second. We can, we'll fit you in, okay, <laughs> because it, it's that important. Uh, BK, uh, thank you so much uh, for taking your time uh, to be with us this morning. I'm looking forward to meeting you on Tuesday. Mike and Peggy, thanks for having me on your show, and have a great day. All right, you too. You too. Thanks so much. Uh, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We've got more coming up. In fact, uh, next it's Evanston Streets Alive, which is an event that's happening right here in Evanston today. Uh, we will be talking about that, and as we mentioned earlier, Debris from storms. What do we do with it, especially if it's toxic? We'll have more on that. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back. Streets Alive is Evanston's free annual Open Streets event, and it's coming to Main Street in Evanston this September 10th from 1 to 5 p.m. Streets Alive features a climbing wall, yoga, karate demos, music, interactive art, delicious food, and more. It also includes the Evanston Green Living Festival for folks looking for products, services, and ideas that promote sustainable lifestyles. For details, visit evanstonstreetsalive.org. If you garden in or around Chicago and you don't have a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, I'm a little worried about you. That's because you're missing out on not only the garden magazine for our region, but one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, as well as articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, and What to Do in the Garden. Of course, there's my column on the inside back page of every issue, but into each life a little rain must fall. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines. On newsstands everywhere, but go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, 888-265-3600. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at Mike Now. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. What is this place? You're in uncharted territory. What do you mean? Where are we? I don't know if you've heard this. I don't know what it is. Tell us your name, please. 1590. WCGO Chicago. I bet you're wondering where this music comes from. We're in the Sunday morning lounge. Yes, we are. We are in the Sunday. I, I decided to 
to bring it back. We've we've gone from technology to I don't know, fun and relaxation and a good time. You you probably just heard uh, Peggy Malecki talking about an event called Evanston Streets Alive and Green Living Festival. Uh, and that's happening today right here in Evanston. And somebody who knows something about it is on the phone with us. And that is Steve Hoffner. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, Mike. How are you? I'm great. How about you? I'm good, thank you. You got a really good day for this, didn't you? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think we could have had it any better. It's uh, going to be in the mid sixties. It's sunny. It's going to be a beautiful day. You know, and 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 we have we talk to people a lot on the show about various uh, events because we try to promote them. We try to get folks out to them, and and I know that's uh, you know the one in particular that always seems to be an issue is when I bring Lori Lewis on to talk about the Sheffield Garden Walk and and music festival. And it seems like there's a storm every year when they do that. Now they've got they, they they've got to cover two days, but and they're also dealing with crowds watching music and all of that. And I right. know that I know right. that poor guy for the week before mm-hmm. doesn't sleep at all. He's he's just up watching the weather every single moment. Um, but but people like you look at the forecast and think, okay, I I hope this works out. We don't if we get rain, it it makes things a lot less fun, doesn't it? That's right. It's rain or shine, but um, we got shine today. So uh, it's going to be awesome. We're looking forward to it, yeah. Which which is great. So I know uh, a few years ago, the Evanston, the Green Living Festival used to be a separate event. It was usually later, and we would sit there and freeze, and you guys <laughs> combined it last year into the whole Streets Festival and the Green Living Festival. So just kind of an overview of, of what's going to be happening out in Evanston today on Main Street. Yeah, thanks. So, I mean, we have a, it's going to be from Main Street, uh, from Chicago Avenue down to Dodge from 1, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. today. Um, like you said, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, there's exhibits, there are activities, there's going to be entertainment, there's some music. Um, the central point of it is the Green Living Festival. Mm-hmm. And uh, within the Green Living Festival, there's going to be some really cool things with solar. The Illinois Solar Energy Association is going to be there to bring their solar house. Um, the Carbon Day Automotive is bringing an electric vehicle. Um, there's a bunch of exhibitors there that do a lot of stuff around uh, green living and sustainability, landscape design. Um, so there's going to be a lot of stuff for people that are interested in that. And uh, uh, the city of Evanston has even uh, brought a lot of uh, uh, their parks and recreation teams there. They're going to be setting up a lot of uh, different um, activities for kids to do. Um, just a lot of great stuff going to be going on in the streets. So one of your themes this year is Share the Road, um, about safe practices for drivers, bikers, pedestrians. Uh, how, how is this being demonstrated there? So there's a couple of things. So a couple of the uh, local bike shops, um, Everyday Cycles, the Cephalus will be there, um, a new organization in town called Go Evanston. Um, we also have some uh, uh, bike safety instructors that will be doing some exhibits in the streets that you can come and learn how to make sure um, you know, you have your helmet on correctly, that you're using uh, signals correctly and just, you know, obeying the rules of the road. Um, so there'll be a lot of that, uh, a couple of different exhibits that will be promoting that. Um, I know, yeah, in Evanston, there's been a lot of bike trails that you've added lately um, over the last couple of years. And is I'm, I'm not exactly sure if there's one on Main Street. How How are those trails being tied in? Uh, so you can take um, some of the new bike lanes. So, mm-hmm. like I said, it starts at, at Dodge Avenue or Chicago Avenue. Uh, Dodge Avenue does have the new bike lanes. Right. Um, you could ride that all the way down. That's right, the green lanes. And there are um, there are going to be bike racks at the ends of the uh, uh, at both ends of the um, the festival, so that you can park your bike there and uh, then walk up and down the the road and see the exhibit. 
You mentioned uh, the Illinois Solar Energy Association uh, earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're friends of ours. We are promoting their big raffle where they they, uh, have a Tesla that uh, you might uh, end up uh, driving. Uh, You know, wouldn't that be nice? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You going to have any Teslas at this uh, event today? (laughs) Probably. Uh, I'm actually... (laughs) <laughs> I hope we do. I don't. I'm not sure what the type of electric vehicle will be there, um, but there are several, um, uh, several different exhibits that, that tie into that, and you can learn about um, what it takes to get an electric vehicle, mm-hmm. how to have a charging station put into your house. So if you're interested in learning more about that, um, uh, you know, bringing that into your life, and then that some of that will be there as well. Yeah, I know you usually have uh, several of the local dealers are there with both electric vehicles and more energy efficient cars. You know, it can go sit in the uh, was it the BMW i3, a Nissan Leaf, several other things like yeah, that? Yeah, the operative word is sit in it. Sit They're not going to let yes. you drive it, right? <laughs> so Yeah, the streets are closed for driving, right? Right. So you can't take it for a spin. Oh, that's true, yeah. Well, yeah, just go up on the sidewalk. What harm can there be there? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> and, uh, and you've got food trucks there, too, right? That's right. There's going to be um, upwards of like 10 different types of food trucks. They're going to be um, distributed across uh, the whole length of the um, the festival, mm-hmm. um, all the way down close to the Robert Crown. There will be a couple, and there will be uh, some in the center near the Green Living Festival, and then a couple more down um, near Chicago Avenue. Uh, I have a really great one. Uh, good. I'm I'm glad to hear that. I, and I'm sorry I keep going back to the the uh, the ISEA. You said this this house. It's a it's, is it like a tiny house? What is it? It uh, the, yep. the... yeah. It's so it's a it's a small house. It obviously comes in on wheels. Um, they bring it in. You can uh, learn about some of the solar technology uh, mm-hmm. that goes into um, uh, you know providing the energy for the house. Uh, you can you can look at it. You can get into it. Um, it's going to be really great um, to learn more about that kind of stuff. Wow, you know I've uh, I've had my. Uh, uh, my discussions uh, about solar, I've wanted to get solar on my home in Chicago for a while, but my house is shaped wrong and I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> and, and they keep telling me, well, you know, better better off you uh, insulate. Uh, and I get that. I mean, that's yeah. that's where you start. You don't do solar until you've actually made your home more energy efficient. But it's good for people to have some pie in the sky and see what they can possibly do. You know, it was interesting. We're just talking about oil and petroleum uh, before you came out, and now here we are uh, discussing the clean energy, and that's where we want people to go. That's right. And there's a, there's a lot of exhibits that will be in the Green Living Festival that have more information about um, energy efficiency. Um, you can talk to CGE about the energy aggregation initiative that they've been pushing for the past couple and of years. CGE, Citizens Greener Evanston? That's right, Citizens Greener Evanston. Um, uh, they're one of the... Um, the organizers of the event, along with the uh, Evanston Environmental Association and, of course, uh, the city of Evanston. So where do folks park since the street's closed? And, and yeah. yeah, great question. So the um, you can park along many of the side streets, um, and, and you can walk in from there. Um, the uh, Asbury Avenue and uh, Ridge Avenue are both open, so you can still kind of cross through there, and the event will be happening on both sides of uh, those roads. But basically, most of back in the neighborhood, there will be parking available. Again, or you, of course, you are welcome to ride your bike or mm-hmm. walk. In. Yeah, and then that's what, that <laughs> certainly is what you would hope people yeah, do. Or take, or take Metro and <laughs> it walk is, in. It is. It's a green it living is, festival true. after yeah, all. Yeah, but if folks. you're coming from Elk Grove Village to visit, <laughs> well, you're, you're going to have to drive because you can't or, get there from or, here. <laughs> or start early. Uh, exactly, <laughs> especially if you're going to walk. Uh, and uh, that's all today, 1 to 5 
on Main Street uh, from Chicago Avenue to Robert Crown Park. Uh, have I got that right so far? That's correct. Uh, and it is uh, Evanston Streets Alive and Green Living Festival. Come on by. There's there's a ton of stuff to do. Yeah. Well, I'm looking here. One of the uh, one of the vendors is uh, showing belly dancing too. So. <laughs> There are many activities to get yourself involved yeah. in, things you never thought you would do before. It's, um, it's going to be a really great festival. Belly dancing only if it's energy efficient, okay? That's, <laughs> that's what yeah, I'm but saying. But pollinator tours and nature play and things like that. So there's definitely- Yeah, so there's lots of stuff that uh, will get you engaged and involved. Uh, so, uh, Steve, thank you so much for uh, stopping by, and uh, I hope we run into you real soon, maybe this afternoon. Yeah, thank you both. Thank you both for letting us uh, promote the festival today, and have a great day. All right, you too. Take care. Uh, Second hour of the Mike Novak Show coming up. Uh, This is where we talk about hurricanes. Uh, Who isn't talking about hurricanes? But we take a different tack, which is to say the debris, what's left over. How do we dispose of it? How do we dispose of it safely and properly? We hope you stick around for that. No Name News is next. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847-475-1590. Here they are again. Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Whenever my head starts to hurt, there we go. Before it goes from bad to feeling worse, we're just checking uh, radars here. Mm-hmm. Peggy and I are comparing radar, and I, and and I, and I'll be honest with you. I went to the Weather Channel site, weather.com, and if you want to look at their radar, you got to wade through commercials. I said that's crazy. Not going to do that. So the place where did I end up going? Channel Nine. It's like yeah. you can count their weather map is the best. You just scroll it down and it's uh, a live uh, radar and it's circling right just north east of Key West right yeah. now. That uh, And I don't know what the sustained winds are because I don't have that right in front of me. But Brandon's on it. I got Let's give that man a ding. He gets two dings. <laughs> uh, he's helping us out here. He's uh, he's uh, our backup. Uh, They're saying sustained winds of 130 miles an hour. Okay. And that was interesting. Sustained winds of 130 miles an hour. And I'm watching the Weather Channel before I come in this morning. Um, And uh, the sustained winds are 130 miles. But then they say Key West, 95 miles an hour. And I'm thinking, what's what's the disconnect? It's going right through Key West. 
they're telling me that the storm has sustained winds of 130. But, you know, and I'm not saying that the, that Key West is getting gypped here or anything. I'm just saying I don't understand the disconnect. Maybe DeMaio can tell us about that later on. But that is a, a nasty looking storm, yeah. although it's it. It is not quite as, well, it's not a lot, nearly as organized as it was when it was out over the Atlantic, and that's a good thing. I still wouldn't want to be standing there in it. No, like Mike Seidel <laughs> and, uh, and his <laughs> little parka out there for the Weather Channel, these guys. And you got, here's what you do. You assume the stance. You get your legs mm-hmm. far apart, and then you hunker down, and then you bend your knees, and then you lower your head and hope the microphone doesn't go out. Those wireless, and Brandon, you should know this as an engineer, those guys... Those mics keep cutting out, and I'm thinking, this is not the optimum condition for running a wireless, is it? Wind ruins microphones. Wind ruins microphones. There you go. And rain. That doesn't help. That doesn't help either. So I wonder how many microphones they go through in a year. I just a hur- cameras. Just a hurricane season. Oh, yeah, my favorite new bit is where they you see the hand come and wipe the lens of the camera <laughs> while they're out there. They don't even care anymore. It's like we're not going to do it during commercial. We got to do it like while the guy's doing his report because otherwise you won't see him. So it's uh, pretty. You know, here's the here's the bad part. I would do that. Okay, <laughs> I would be the camera guy. I'd be happy to be the camera guy. I would be the reporter. I don't care. That would be really interesting work. Oh well. All right, we got some stuff we got to talk about here because we only and we're running out of time. Go to uh, MikeNovak.net. They've got a bunch of strolling the farm. A farm they call it farm stroll. Um, Illinois Extension has come up with five farm strolls. We we mentioned this one last year when mm-hmm. we had Michelle Byrne Walsh on the show. Where are these farm strolls? So the first one is actually today uh, in Ogle County in Byron, Mount Morris, in Oregon, Illinois. Um, and take a step back. The strolls let you take a self guided tour in your car and your bike, whatever. Go from farm to farm to farm. They're working farms, dress for it appropriately, mm-hmm. but you can see anything from alpacas to dairy farms, family farms, uh, vineyards, farmers markets, small CSA farms, et cetera. So um, it's it's an idea that's been going on for about three or four years. So Ogle County's today, next week, Sunday, September 17th, is the first Lake County farm stroll. Um, that's 10 a.m. to 4 yeah, p.m. Yeah, 10 to 4. 11 locations in Lake and Cook counties. Yeah, plus College of Lake County Sustainability Center and the um, the Farm Bureau has something set up, too. Also that day, September 17th, DeKalb County has their farm stroll with nine family farms. Wow. Then we move to September 24th. Again, this is all on MikeNovak.net. Um, McHenry County Farm Stroll and Market. We had Michelle Byrne Walsh on. That's what we talked about. about yeah, 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 and that one's also Natural Awakenings this month, too. They've got 12 farms uh, with quite a lot of variety. I mean, bring the kids. Yeah. Bring yourself. Get a tour of a farm. Get to see how your food is grown and how, how the other half lives, yeah. kind of. Bring some cash. Buy some produce. Buy exactly. some jelly. Bring cash. Make sure you bring cash. Um, and then, uh, did you say Boone County? Uh, Boone County is October 1st. There's not a whole lot out about it yet, but if you just go to Illinois Extension, you're also going to find some more information about yeah, all Yeah, find that. Or go to my website, because we got it all up there. Peggy did a lot of work in pulling it all together, so don't go to Extension. Go to our website. Uh, yeah, go to Extension, too. Uh, the Oak Lawn Park District is having the Monarch Butterfly Tour to Mexico next Saturday, 2 to 5 p.m. at the Oakview Center, which is 4625 West 110th Street in Oak Lawn Park. Uh, it's got butterfly arts and crafts, interactive butterfly puppet theater. you got to love that. Uh, <laughs> monarch tagging and release, 
bug zoo, photography tips, blah, blah. Lots and you of can, stuff. you can buy milkweed plants for a dollar to support really? the monarch I, I, conservation. Really? I, I might have to go there because yeah. I tried a bunch in my yard. I tried moving them, and some of them took, and most of them did not. But uh, but they're still out there. Yeah. Uh, and then the, on the uh, that's next Saturday. Then the next day, September 17th from 12 to 3, the Forest Preserves of Cook County is doing its annual Migrating Monarchs Tour at Trailside Museum of Natural History, 738 Thatcher Avenue in River Forest, uh, free, family friendly. It's got other. They also have mm-hmm. uh, a monarch tag and release, uh, and a bunch of stuff. Music, have, food. Yeah. Master and, gardeners talking about native plants uh, to plant. Really good stuff. So uh, all of that information, and give Peggy a ding because she put all that together, and it's on the website mikenovak.net. Just go to this week's show, and you can find all of it there, uh, and scroll through it. and And there's so much to do. In and around Chicago at this time of year, folks, make sure that you're not bored. Like the people you just said. Who is it? This idiot Ann Coulter says she's bored in Miami. Yeah. Yeah, go walk out into Fort Myers, Ann. All right, we'll be right back. The Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Are you ready to make a positive change in the world around you? One that's easy and creates beauty. Make the switch to native plants, natural communities' native plants. Enjoy the elegance of nature, the birds, the pollinators, and yes, even monarch butterflies, without the excessive maintenance and without pesticides. Natives create food for pollinators and birds, offset climate change, cleanse water, reduce floodwaters, and they look great. Natural Communities has more than 200 species of affordable woodland, wetland, and prairie plants, as well as shrubs, trees, and seeds native to the Midwest. And now is the time to get those plants established in your yard for a head start next year. Go to naturalcommunities.net. And if you use the word NOVAK, N-O-W-A-K, at checkout, you'll get 10% off your purchase until October 1st. Don't just get back to nature. Create it in your own backyard. Go to naturalcommunities.net. Streets Alive, Evanston's free annual Open Streets event is coming to Main Street in Evanston on September 10th from 1 to 5 p.m. Streets Alive features a climbing wall, yoga, karate demos, music, interactive art, delicious food, and more. It also includes the Evanston Green Living Festival for folks looking for products, services, and ideas that promote sustainable lifestyles. For details, visit evanstonstreetsalive.org. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day for your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non-force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low-level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. That sound you hear is my time machine letting me know it's time to return to our own world. This is your talk, WCGO. Hang on. It's the Mike Novak Show. Peggy Malecki is also here, as she always is. And uh, many thanks to uh, Engineer... Brandon, uh, who's uh, keeping us alive. Good job there, dude. Appreciate it. 
Um, on the phone, we have a couple of people who I think are watching Hurricane Irma slam into Florida with great interest. Uh, one of them is a guy I talked to earlier in the week, Steve Bantillo, executive vice president of the National Recycling Coalition. Stephen, good morning. Whoa, lost him. Uh-oh, we'll get him back. Uh, well, before you do that, Brandon, let's 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 bring up uh, William. Let's see if William's there. Oh, it dropped both of them. <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to make a, a real quick phone call. Technology continues. I take back the kudos for you, Brandon. I take it all back. All right. No, no that was Ann Coulter coming back oh, was at that, us. Was that Ann Coulter? <laughs> uh, anyway, so let me introduce them before we get them on the phone. Uh, as I said, Stephen uh, Bantillo is executive vice president to the National Recycling Coalition. Uh, William Turley is the founder and executive director for the Construction and Demolition Recycling Association, or CDRA. Uh, The other organization, the National Recycling Coalition, might be referred to as the NRC. Um, And uh, Brandon is patiently waiting for uh, the phone uh, to go through. And um, I got uh, an email. All right, let's get Steve. We'll start with Steve, and then you can get uh, Bill Turley on. Steve, you with me? I'm here. Okay, sorry about that. Sometimes technology catches up with you. Um, And as uh, uh, I got an email earlier in the week from the National Recycling Coalition, and of course, full disclosure, I am uh, on the board of the Illinois Recycling Association. Uh, Formerly, I was president of the Chicago Recycling Coalition. So I I have a, a dog in this hunt. Um, and I'm just very interested in these kinds of issues. Uh, and I received your e-blast uh, earlier in the week, Stephen, and you were talking about Hurricane Harvey and the recovery efforts down in Texas uh, from the flooding, mostly the flooding, uh, not nearly as much of uh, wind damage. Uh, and you started talking about what's happening in Texas and warning that there were going to be some things going on uh, uh, that are not necessarily environmentally friendly. I did a little research and found out that the state of Texas is suspending about 19 laws uh, that uh, uh, that uh, the 19 environmental rules that the state thought would hinder cleanup. Um, and I found this story about that in the New York Times, and Andrew Dobbs, the program director with the Texas Campaign of the Environment, which is a nonprofit advocacy group, said, quote, they have suspended more or less every meaningful environmental protection. Uh, So when I got your email, I thought, you know, we need to talk about this uh, on, on the show, and one of the things you're worried about is that they might start burning debris in Texas. So explain uh, uh, the concern of the National Recycling Coalition for uh, about uh, debris cleanup in Texas. Well, you, you've hit it on the head, and, and, and we were concerned uh, that the burning, uh, the incineration, however you want to characterize it, may occur. And, and we did include that in our, in our press release. You know, obviously, first and foremost, we're, we're concerned about uh, public safety mm-hmm. um, and, and dealing with, with immediate issues. But, of course, always in these situations following that, you have cleanup activities that take place. Um, but that doesn't uh, reduce uh, 
um, or eliminate, I should say, that you know the public safety issues. I mean, they're they're ongoing, of course. Um, and and during the cleanup, um, you know, you have certain things that and, and a mix, whole mix of things really that are that are everywhere, particularly in in floods. Um, and uh, and you know sometimes um, either due to lack of planning or uh, or issues of expediency. Um, Sometimes the the best path of, of recovery of, of the materials and, and handling uh, and the safest aren't aren't necessarily the ones that are chosen, and um, and so yeah we express concern that that uh, uh, incineration might occur and uh, and advised against it um, and instead of course we always encourage proper handling of the materials and recycling. Uh, to, to the best ability of, of the various agencies and or organizations that are responsible for handling that material. But um, as you said, uh, they, they did um, uh, <laughs> suspend a, a lot of, of uh, environmental laws um, related to permitting and uh, uh, transportation standards and pollution control standards. Um, thinking that they may, in fact, hinder the recovery, um, and uh, and unfortunately, you know, that also includes uh, open air burning. And mm-hmm. and not only did they go, did they are they allowing burning? They are actually going beyond what was done um, with Superstorm Sandy, as I understand it, and and they're essentially just going to allow open burning. Um, the uh, Superstorm Sandy. Uh, Sandy, they had some controls over that, uh, but at the same time, you still have incineration. Now, they also, um, fortunately, uh, required um, plenty of monitoring you know, for air um, in those areas where the incineration took place. But in this case, um, it sounds like, you know, if you've got uh, an open lot somewhere, open property, um, you know, that, that you can burn things yourselves. And, and of course, we don't know what people are going to do and what controls are going to be in place um, with all of these burn piles. And, and so, you know, often in, in floods, um, you have somewhat of a toxic soup. Um, you know, sewer systems are, are overwhelmed. And, we, of course, we know all the things that people like to store in their garages and other locations. And, uh, and all these uh, chemicals end up... Um, in the water, mm-hmm. and now they're recovering materials, and then some of these materials themselves also have have various uh, 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 deleterious ingredients in them, and and so you know when you burn that, uh, all those uh, toxins are are released into the atmosphere. So um, we have we have a, a great concern over how that's going to happen, and of course um, in some of these uh, uh, open burn situations, you know. You're dealing with with fires that uh, you know folks may start with some kind of other uh, 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 chemicals, whether it's you know gasoline or petroleum or lighter fluid uh, or something. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and just to get things going. And yeah. Well, so. yeah. Okay. And 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 I was thinking about that. And Peggy and I have talked about this. Okay. Here you go. You've got somebody who wants to get rid of their couch. They decide they're going to burn it. Oh, wait a second. The couch has been treated with flame retardant, so I guess we better put some lighter fluid and on that. And it's still wet. And it's still wet. Um, this is this is a recipe for uh, a, a, a an atmospheric disaster of some sort, isn't it? 
Well, you know, I, I don't know if I can characterize it as, a, as an atmospheric disaster, um, but certainly uh, it's, it's burning and, and low temperature burning of, of these kinds of things is going to release um, a lot of harmful uh, particulate matter. And, and so now you've got folks who have already been exposed to a, a terrible disaster, um, a natural disaster, and now we're having somewhat of a of a man-made disaster, so to speak, and hopefully I'm not over uh, overstepping, you know, in characterizing it that way. But um, yeah, now uh, now there's going to be additional pollutants uh, that folks will will be exposed to um, through breathing. Um, yeah, I I, I don't think I don't think you're oh, uh, characterizing it uh, inappropriately because in in a very real sense, I'm thinking about this. Uh, this situation in Texas, and, and pardon me for using this phrase, is the perfect storm of, okay, it's the perfect storm of a perfect storm and the uh, the uh, lax regulations in the state of Texas mm-hmm. traditionally and an area where we have a uh, chemical industry uh, that... Uh, th- to a greater extent than we have in a lot of parts of the U S and you put all that together and we've got standing water and people who want to get rid of stuff. And, and Mm -hmm. we are looking at more toxicity uh, in the uh, reclamation of this debris and the residue that's left behind after it because there's still that burn pile that still has some residue in it. Exactly. So, uh, well, let's bring in uh, uh, William Turley uh, as well. And as I said, he's the founder and executive director of the Construction and Demolition Recycling Association, uh, also uh, known as uh, CDRA. Uh, Bill, uh, good morning. Sorry about the phone snafu. No problem, Mike. Hello, Peggy. Good morning. Uh, you deal with this sort of stuff all the time. Uh, you you were involved in uh, the cleanup for Superstorm Sandy, weren't you? Members of our association were, and I learned, we learned a lot of lessons from what happened at that time. Um, and, you know, you're, you're right about Texas um, suspending its regulations, but it also New York and New Jersey suspended a bunch of regulations, too, because of the need to move the debris out quickly. They were, you know, they were storing trash in parking lots and stuff like that, making, uh, you know, transfer sites. You've got to suspend a lot of regulations mm-hmm. to let that happen. Okay. So, so it happens all, every disaster it happens. Okay, that's good to know. The question is, where do we draw the line? Where where do we get to the point where we control some of this so that we're not creating uh more trouble down the road? I won't say another disaster, I'll just say more trouble with um debris that is contaminated and then just gets dumped someplace i mean is is that the ultimate disposition of this material does it just all end up in landfills bill very good question and and i get asked that all the time after every disaster a regular recycling facility the material it receives is abated all uh for uh contaminants such as uh, what you might see in a building asbestos Mm -hmm. lead all that kind of stuff well obviously the hurricane didn't stop to abate so being able to recycle that material becomes problematic because of the deleterious materials, you know, swirled throughout the whole pile. It's just, to answer your question, we got to throw it away, unfortunately, most of it. We will be able to recover the concrete and the metal, and, uh, and probably a lot of the vegetative debris can be chipped up and used for mulch, but most of the rest of it, unfortunately, is going to have to go to the landfill. 
our industry is very sad about that, obviously, because we'd like to get a hold of that stuff. But it's just the nature of the beast. Uh, well, uh, one thing I will say uh, in defense of Texas, uh, and uh, the good thing is that the citizen, at least the city of Houston, has asked its citizens to separate their debris into five separate piles. Appliances, electronics, construction and demolition debris, household hazardous waste, and vegetative debris. Yep. Uh, that was the started at the New Jersey it was the first ones to put together a guideline along those lines. Currently, the U.S. EPA is, is updating its disaster debris preparedness mm-hmm. document. I was able to uh, review that document uh, before it goes out for public comment, and it has that same five guidelines in there. And you just what you said, and what you, those five things, just what I said. We're going to be able to recover all the metals, i.e., cars, uh, um, appliances, whatever, and then the, out of the C and D materials, what we call construction and demolition, we should be able to recover some of it, but most of it's just going to be, you know, what can you do with soggy drywall, right? Yeah. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah, you can't even use it when it's uh, post-consumer anyway. We can't recycle it anyway, and it's not a great market. I mean, there's just tons of stuff. So tons, what? So that just we can't that just goes into landfill then the soggy we, drywall. Oh, that will have to go to landfill. And when I checked last week, the local landfills in uh, Houston were still underwater because they're usually in a lower-lying area. Yikes. They were in, <laughs> yeah, so where are you going to put it? So you're talking about trucking this stuff out to San Antonio? I mean, we don't have a... I, I think they might be back to operating, but you would overwhelm those landfills in no time locally um, uh, if we don't have some other option to do with it, uh, with this material. And we can't recycle it and repurpose it at all either. So it becomes a tremendous challenge. Say they, say they use their local landfills, well, we're just going to have to go permit and open some more. That doesn't make anyone happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think some of it's also public opinion. You know, people see the pile sitting out there. They're afraid of the mold. They're afraid of all the health hazards, and it's sitting there. They just yep. want it gone. And yeah, but, in, but, in the but, emotion, but, that's yeah, the but, problem. But, uh, but I'll tell you something. They want it gone, but this is no different yep. from the rest of their lives uh Outside of a catastrophe, people still just want it gone, whatever it is. And it it seems to me it's the responsibility of organizations like the National Recycling Coalition and the uh, Construction and Demolition Recycling Association to figure out how to do it Mm -hmm. right, to advocate for laws that do it right, and to teach and train the the populace to Uh do it right. We agree, and I was very impressed with the updated EPA document. They emphasize planning in advance. And, you know, yeah, everyone says, oh, they plan, but when the disaster hits, it doesn't look like anything has been ready for it, you know, and it doesn't look like it. Though Harvey was unbelievable in his uh, wrath uh, down there. Uh, it, it, they were. It, it, they emphasize, though, in this EPA document, the planning that you need to do ahead of time to make sure you have places to move this material to. Um, and, and and that's and I'm not sure Florida is a little more ahead mm-hmm. of this. They'll have a different debris. We have two different debris streams. Houston yes, is more, yeah. Houston is more for traditional building structures, i.e., like we have up here, uh, whereas it's more masonry based in in Florida because they're they are all, they're built for hurricanes. Those houses and they're more more masonry based. So we should be able to recover a lot more of the material there if the structures are damaged. For the rest of the material, for the rest of the material in the houses, and like Stephen said, in the garages and 
stuff like that, good luck. Yeah, okay. Uh, we need to take a short break. Uh, I want to continue this conversation. We've got, uh, that was Bill Turley, Executive Director of the Construction and Demolition Recycling Association. We also have Steve Bantillo on the phone, who's the Executive Director of the National Recycling uh, Coalition, Executive Vice President, I'm sorry, uh, of the National Recycling Coalition. And uh, your comments are welcome, 847-475-1590. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Did you know it takes almost 2,000 gallons of water to produce one pound of beef? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. It takes only 39 gallons of water to produce one pound of vegetables. Meat production releases more greenhouse gases than veggies. Emissions from livestock currently make up almost 15% of the global greenhouse gases. Of that, beef and dairy alone make up 65%. One cow's annual output of methane, you know, cow fluffs, burps, call them what you want, is equivalent to the emissions generated by one car burning 235 gallons of gas. Talk about stinky climate change. More vegetables equals a happier planet. Just saying. I'm Green Diva Meg, and you can find more low-stress green living tips at thegreendivas.com. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color perms and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty, you no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Find out what's going on in Evanston. Tune in to Haggerty's Huddle every other Monday on French and Friends. Brought to you by Chicago Lee Magazine. Name the city's top magazine. Don't just read more, read better. Yeah, but the real problem is your mama and daddy don't actually recycle. And then when that's a problem, uh, it's a problem for everybody else. Yeah, that's a big problem, especially after a big storm. Uh, And that's what we're talking about as one uh, barrels into the state of Florida this morning. And I imagine that both uh, Stephen Bantillo from the National Recycling Coalition and Bill Turley from the Construction and Demolition Recycling Association are watching that. I'll uh, I'll start with you, Bill. Uh, I bet you've got your eye on that. You've been in in touch with uh, your folks down there, haven't you? We have. Everyone's been batting down the hatches stage right Mm -hmm. now. Uh, So, you know, they're trying to tie their equipment down and protect it, uh, their recycling plants and all that. Uh, But once that storm passes through, the vegetative debris is the first thing we'll probably attack uh, as far as getting the the recycling going of that. And, you know, they have a a 12-month-a-year 
recycling uh, action going on down there for vegetative anyway, unlike us up here in the north. Um, but they, they are, so they're really well equipped to handle that material, they're, and they're used to doing hurricanes. Uh, so I expect them to do well, and I know the, the plants will be ready to do whatever they can. I, but like we discussed earlier, the material has got a lot of contaminants in it, and we have to be very careful. Well, uh, let's get back to that, because um, I, I'm one of those people that gets kind of frustrated when the answer is, well, there's really nothing we can do, and it's got to pile up on a landfill. And I look at that, and I say, that's not acceptable. That's not an acceptable answer. How do we mitigate that? And let me start with, uh, with Stephen, uh, because you're with the National Recycling Coalition. Your job is to advocate for recycling, even in difficult situations. My my argument would be that in a in a situation like this, we have to pay attention even more. That we have to work even harder uh, because there's so much more debris. If we make an exception every time there's a, a catastrophe, this it seems to me this is where we're getting a lot of influx of these materials. How do we? Uh, manage that a little better? Is that even possible? Uh, well, it, is it possible? Um, most of the times, almost anything is possible. I mean, the the the, uh, the Americans have a tremendous amount of ingenuity and resolve. Um, however, you know, we we tend to lose some of that, at least uh, when we're faced with, with these tremendous disasters. Um, however, as, as Bill was talking about Florida, having more experience with with hurricanes, you know, you look for these opportunities um, from from best management practices uh, and and the ability to become much more effective in in recovering these materials. But but there are, there are always limitations on that. Um, we were talking earlier about planning, and and you can do your research and find that just about every state uh, that you come across is going to have some sort of disaster debris management plan. Um, the question is whether or not the uh, the state and and the local jurisdictions are actually prepared to implement those plans or funded and yeah oh yeah are funded obviously you know, this is key um, and of course they they look to the federal government through FEMA uh, for for financial aid and and assistance um, in these situations yeah and whether or not the federal government is is even prepared and uh, and has money in the budget to be able to allocate to this so I mean that's that's a key challenge right there. But again, um, getting folks to recognize that they actually have these plans in place and are physically prepared to implement them. And, and that's what I see as, as one of the greatest barriers to these materials being handled in the best possible manner. Now, we're not going to be able to get everything. I mean, Bill has said this, and, it's, and he's absolutely right. Um, but we can do much better on what we have done, uh, b- better than we have done so far. Um, and, and it does require staging. It does require, you know, setting materials aside um, and hopefully in the safest manner, not burning them. And using, you know, whatever, whatever uh, recovery resources we have to be able to segregate some of the materials and get as much out of it as we can. But again, um, it does require time, and and there are costs associated with it. But, yeah, uh, uh, but but let's to, let's go back. What, what cost? Let's let's compare costs of that versus you know the the health effects uh, that are potentially long term. Yeah, uh, but I want to get back to the burning thing because you guys sort of put your finger on that, and you said, hey, this is this is where the we're we're crossing the line here, where we, now we're kind of concerned 
uh, you know, we've mentioned both you and uh, Bill have mentioned that sometimes it's tough to to not have this stuff end up in the landfill, that it's an emergency. People are just trying to get rid of it. But one of the things you can stop, perhaps, is burning because that might be crossing that line. So what are you trying to do at the NRC to make sure that the state of Texas isn't burning all this stuff? Well, there's a, there's not a lot that we can do at the NRC to, to have uh, Texas not burn it. We don't control that we don't make their laws. Um, we don't enforce their laws. The governor there has, in fact, um, uh, suspended a number of the laws related to this. There's not a lot the National Recycling Coalition can do about this, other than we can do our best to educate the public mm-hmm. um, and uh, and educate uh, the folks in government, um, encourage them not to do it. But certainly um, we've found uh, through a number of situations over the years um, when, when the public is informed, uh, hopefully they can hold their their uh, policymakers accountable um, and and uh, pressure them to make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, I know everybody is looking for a, a quick, uh, expeditious cleanup, and, and we certainly want that as well, but we would like it to be done in the safest manner so it, it does reduce harm to the population either during the, the cleanup and, and certainly after the cleanup. Uh, 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 Bill Turley, was was there burning? I I think you might have mentioned this. Was there burning uh, in after Superstorm Sandy? Do you know? Yeah, there was. Uh, I believe on the New Jersey side, New York. Uh, no, New York side. New Jersey didn't allow it. Um, uh, the, the, there was some that went on. Yes. Okay. Now the other question I want to get to out of uh, what Stephen said is jurisdictions. Uh, and I think a lot of folks, homeowners, just assume that somebody will pick it up. But we've got local jurisdictions, we've got national jurisdictions, we've got all these different uh, governmental entities that need to coordinate their efforts, and that might be the hardest thing of all. And uh, the commercial haulers. Uh, and the, the commercial contracts. and the private industry. How do you pull all that together, Bill? Well, that's under FEMA control, which usually defers to the state. They're up to, and I think you know this, six national contractors who handle most of the de- debris from disasters, Ashbrit being the biggest mm-hmm. one. So they're, they are really uh, answering to whatever the state, and usually the FEMA will defer to the states, as we know. So that's how the coordination happens, is they've already got that much in place at that level, but then they, uh, they always defer to the local, and that's where your jurisdiction problem gets in. The state will supersede probably everything and, and control most of it. I think Stephen would agree with that. I would. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and going back, I want to make one point on the recycling part, that, you know, you can say you want to see us recycle this stuff, but you forgot about the fourth R. Rebuy. If we don't have an end market for the material, we're not going to be able to recycle it anyway. What's the point of it? So, you know, sometimes there just isn't a market. Right now in Houston, there isn't a market for what anything, a lot of stuff that we can make down there uh, for his end product and, and end product. So, well, but we're not we're not necessarily just talking about Houston. We're talking about a worldwide oh, market. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, and that's what, why Florida is going to be in a little better shape because they they know what they can make with that stuff. Okay. I, I'm not sure what you mean by that. They have, for example, their buildings are masonry, concrete, block, and, yeah, concrete. yeah, and we're, that's easier to recycle than you know wood and, and soggy drywall and all that kind of stuff. So they'll be able to recover a little bit more of any houses that go bad. Yes, we're still going to have the problem with the internal uh, soft demolition, the internal debris that we have there. We'll have trouble recycling that, and there, and with, but they can use a lot of vegetative material there because they have uh, mulch all year round. 
So they're going to be in a little better shape as far as recycling the stuff. And, you know, they're, they have a water table, what, four feet below the ground, so they can't really put a lot of stuff in the landfill. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. they don't, they, they, they are, their landfills go up uh, 30, 40 feet. Uh, actually, that's a really good point about landfills. Uh, in Texas, uh, well, one of the things you mentioned with the landfills in different parts of the country, they're, they're really very different. On the East Coast, there's a lot less space to work with. What's it like uh, uh, comparing Florida, Texas, and, say, New Jersey? Oh, New Jersey has some of the strictest uh, environmental laws in the country and especially on landfills and does require recycling. However, they, as you know, suspended some of that, a lot of that, during sand, after Sandy. Uh, Texas has pretty strict regulations on the recycling industry and uh, and uh, the waste haulers there, um, more than you would think. Now I'm not just saying what they do on other stuff, okay? But I'm just saying that we, you know, we notice the regulations for the waste haulers are pretty strict, mm-hmm. uh, same as any other state, and they should be. We have no problem with that, and so uh, they they will still be able to operate. Florida is uh, about the same. I mean, you know, they they actually they're a little bit more political there, believe it or not. And uh, it's a little interesting this situation. That could be another hour show for you guys. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll book it. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But it's, uh, yeah. Well, they're, they're not, the regs aren't that bad, really. They're they're fair and they are pretty good and pretty strict. What about in Illinois, bringing it back home? You know, we, you and I talked uh, off air about the floods. That's a little bit different. What about tornado when you don't have stuff that's the same flooded, infiltrated with chemicals? Yeah, and that, but you're still going to have the, mater- the deleterious materials strewn throughout the debris, unfortunately. They distilled, the storm didn't abate. Asbestos could be in there. So could we test for every incoming load? We could. It gets really expensive. And like I said, there's not a lot of uh, end markets. Fortunately, with tornado stuff, uh, uh, there's, it's not going to be uh, as wet usually mm-hmm. as it would be in, in Harvey or even a regular hurricane, such as what Florida is getting. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we can do that. The Northridge earthquake, which Stephen knows even more about than me, uh, in California, we were reco- able to recover a lot of that material because there was no real water involved. Yeah, and uh, uh, Stephen, as we, you and I talked. Uh, water is sort of the X factor in all of this. It makes stuff a lot more difficult to dispose of. Uh, well, it it does, and and I will say, when you add water to it, you you really put a, a timer on. I mean, the clock is ticking uh, because you have additional concerns with with mold mm-hmm. uh, that are going to to start growing. So yes, in in tornadoes and uh, assuming there's not a lot of water and and uh, earthquakes, um, you have a little bit more time. But of course, you're still we're still in a rush to to uh, implement recovery practices and, and, and get people back into into structures. Um, you don't have the, the water issue uh, uh, that really forces your hand in, in making some decisions that that uh, you know are are along the lines of expediency. Uh, well, uh, we've got to let you go, gentlemen. Thank you so much, uh, Stephen. If folks want to get a hold of folks from the NRC, the website is. NRCRecycles.org. And uh, Bill, your website? CDRecycling.org. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much. I think we might have to have this conversation again. All right, take care. Have a great Sunday. Thank you. All right, thanks, Mike. Thanks. Now's the time to get on board with one of McHenry County's premier sustainability and healthy living events. If your business offers products or services that are eco-friendly, healthy, locally produced, or energy efficient, McHenry County College wants you to join them as an exhibitor at its annual Green Living Expo. 
The event takes place November 4th, but registration for vendor and artist space is open now. McHenry County College is celebrating its 50th anniversary, and this year's Green Living Expo is going to be bigger than ever. They've added an artist walk where visitors can shop and chat with local sustainable artists. And if you offer eco-friendly holiday gifts, you'll get a head start on season. Mike and I were there last year, and the Expo is a great way to interact with McHenry County's green community. Register today for the McHenry County College Green Living Expo. Call 815-479-7765 or email sustainability at mchenry.edu. If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contractor. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. The Scarce Green Fair is back, and the Mike Novak Show is part of it. We'll be broadcasting from the DuPage County Fairgrounds on Saturday, September 30th at 10 a.m. This year, the Green Fair features a free recycling extravaganza, eco-lifestyle workshops, goats, chickens, beekeeping demos, STEM activities for kids, a farmer's market, food vendors, and more. Peggy and I love Scarce, so come out and be part of the fun. Go to scarce.org for details, and we'll see you there. Your talk. This is your talk. Only on 1590. Your talk. WCGO Evanston, Chicago. Eight four seven. Eight seven Yeah. Hudson three two seven hundred. They had to apparently. Back when the song came out, they had to just. Dis- uh-huh. Connect that number all over the and darn now country. Now it would just be all. It would be a Facebook meme now. Yeah, it would. Yeah, exactly. Uh, welcome back to uh, the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're wrapping up. Uh, we were trying to get a hold of Mr. DeMaio. I think he's probably what. Uh, it's he's he's he ain't there. We're, that's a shame. It would have been would have been nice to get him here, but he op- he's a busy guy, and he operates <laughs> on his own schedule. So. Uh, that's okay. But a couple of things we wanted to say, uh, wrapping up the show here, one of the things you were pointing out, Peggy, uh, during the break uh, about the recycling effort in Texas was. Mm-hmm. That we had pointed out that in Houston they were asking people to separate into five different piles. Um, but the reality seems to be most people are putting things at the curb. They aren't recycling. Uh, they aren't separating into the metals. The the you're saying it's carpeting. volunteer. It's volunteer. There's no means of enforcement, and I'm just wondering what even the means of education is. How do, how do people even know in every neighborhood set up your five piles? Yeah, and who's thinking of that in in the emotion of the storm? And and that's what I'm left with from the conversation uh, with uh, Stephen and Bill uh, is is a sense of frustration that okay. Really, what's going to happen? It's all going to landfill. You know, it's uh, that there might, there will be, as as uh, uh, Bill said, yeah, they can recover stuff. It makes me wonder how much of that is mm-hmm. is going to be recovered. Probably the it, concrete. The concrete, I guess. It kind of, it's up to the individuals who are 
throwing that in big piles. And then the people who are hauling it away, are they separating any of that? Um, it's, uh, it's frustrating. And I know it's a disaster. And I know people have to get it out of there. I get that. Okay. It, it, the, as I said before, though, you'd think that at a time when we have more of that stuff than ever, which mm-hmm. is at the time of a and catastrophe. And more and more disasters. And happening. more and more disasters. We got to have a, a solution for this. We've got to at least try. Can't just give up and say, well, I'll tell you what, why don't we just dump it all in the ocean? Why not? What could possibly go wrong with that? That's what we used to do. You heard mm-hmm. that from uh, Carl Zimmering, right. our, our buddy who's been on the show. And uh, he did a lecture earlier this year with, that Peggy and I Steve. read. And and Steve, um, I'm not going to Steve Murm, yes. From that, Columbia. That, that they would just, well, the same thing happened after the Chicago fire. They took and put all the disaster debris right into Lake Michigan for landfill. Uh, yeah. Now, we don't do that as much we're not anymore. not doing that. But as Steve pointed out, um, not the one who was on the show today, but at the lecture whose name we can't, last name, <laughs> isn't that awful? Uh, and if we looked at it, we'll, we'll find it probably at 1059, just after we go <laughs> off air. Um, he pointed out that up until what? Was it this century? We were still dumping stuff in the up Atlantic? Up until not all that long ago. Yeah. And we still say, are dumping, I, some of it is still legal to dump in the Atlantic. In the Atlantic. So stuff like construction and demolition debris mm-hmm. was among the stuff that gets still gets dumped or has up until we very recently. train cars into the ocean. Well, you know what they say about that. Well, we're going to create we're coral. We're building a reef, yes. Yeah, we're building a reef. Oh, oh we got Rick DeMaio call. on the phone holding. Oh, my goodness. Get Let's get uh, DeMaio here. All right. This is good. Then we don't have to just go on and on do, and on do, about do, our frustration. Do, do, do. Real quick, though, this is Illinois Waterway Cleanup Week. Adopt a beach, greatlakes.org. Sign up for next Saturday to go clean up a Chicago beach. Speaking oh, of cleanup. And let's bring in meteorologist Rick DeMaio for a special Sunday uh, appearance. How you doing, Rick? Uh, good. I've been listening to you guys talk for the last couple of minutes about what to do with um, you know, debris from hurricanes. If you get a chance, go back and look at uh, the CBS Sunday Morning News. That's the newscast with Jane Pauley. And they literally did a five-minute segment, Mike, on how people are handling all the trash in the Houston area. It's exactly what you were talking about. They copied they us. A, yeah. yeah they, Except they had they more had a, answers, I'm sure. They, you, you literally could not see down the street because you had piles. I'm not kidding you. Eight to ten feet high. It almost looked like Chicago after the 67 blizzard, but not drifts of snow. You had drifts of garbage. And it was all about how a football team nearby from the Rockport area, that was the one that got, uh, the town that got hit with the um, pretty much landfall, um, what was actually helping out with people. And get this, in, in less income areas, we're getting their garbage cleaned up later than the ones yep. in the higher income areas. When is this going to stop? When is this, when, when are everybody, when is every victim going to be treated the same? I, I hate seeing that. Yeah. I hate seeing that. Yeah, they, yeah. they said that ah. the, the people in the trucks were even helping them to unload the debris in the wealthier neighborhoods. Well, uh, because they God. might get tipped. You never know. Uh, all right, all right. Yeah. Well, well, let's, anyway, okay. let, let's uh, back, go to, back, back yeah, to the back storm. To yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go on. Okay, by the way, Irma made landfall um, somewhere between Key West and Marathon Key, mm-hmm. uh, somewhere between 8.10 and 8.20 this morning. 
Uh, if you go to my latest Facebook post, actually a uh, Facebook post rather, I actually put the wind gust on the map. Uh, it took me a little bit of time to put that together, but there was a uh, 125 mile per hour wind gust that was reported. Uh, so this goes in as a Category Four hurricane. Now, granted, five percent of the storm is Category Four. Probably about 15 percent is Category Three. About 90 percent is Category Two. But this is now moving and paralleling that southwest coast of Florida, which means massive storm surge, and now winds probably gusting as high as 100 to 110 miles an hour in Fort Myers and Tampa. The only good thing about the track of the storm is that most of the storm surge is going to be in a very unpopulated area, pretty much south of Marco Island, south of Everglades City, and just around to the point where the storm makes landfall with the Everglades north of the Keys there. Uh, that's good. So it sounds like I, I, the question I was going to ask is, you know, uh, four days ago, we looked at the potential for uh, utter catastrophe, which would would, right. have been, would have been like a 10. And, and, you know, if we say that one is Nirvana and a walk in the park, where would you place this uh, this event? Well, you, you, I mean, instead of hitting the Miami area, we had a population of seven million in the greater Miami area. You're going through Fort Myers, west side of Orlando and Tampa, where the population, the greater population, is 5 million. Um, that's still a lot that, of people. That, that, that's still a lot of people, yeah. Um, and in fact, most of the area, when you go east of Fort Myers and south and east of Tampa, those houses are not as hurricane-proof yeah. as you would think because that area has always kind of been in the shadow of, of hurricanes, they normally come in across the southern part. They normally come in from the east. Tampa remarkably has escaped the wrath of hurricanes for a long period of time. And the Tampa Bay area, because it's such a large bay, isn't really impacted as much by storm surge. The, the beach areas of St. Petersburg and Clearwater kind of you know feel the brunt of that. Uh, you don't have as much. A lot of the harbors are kind of protected, which is why things have been built up so much. Uh, and speaking of Marco Island, you were talking about Ron being down there. The wind is actually out of the east right now mm-hmm. at about 70 miles an hour. And what's happening is kind of like what you get before a tsunami comes in. The water gets pushed offshore, and they're actually at low tide right now. So the water has actually dropped nearly mm-hmm. three and a half to four feet around the Fort Myers and Tampa area. When high tide comes in later on this afternoon, when you get on the back side of the storm, that's when you can get some of the catastrophic storm surge. So this is only going, this is almost going to be what we call reverse storm surge. You don't get it on the front side of the storm, you get on the back side. Wow. Okay. Thank you for uh, dropping in and giving us, can you give us like a 10-second forecast for Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> Sunny and nice today and staying basically nice over the next five days. And the 10-day European, believe it or not, has Jose going into New York City. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I saw well, that that's yesterday. that's what we're talking about next weekend. They, oh, Lordy. It just never ends, does it? Oh, my the goodness. The world is coming to an end. I'll see you guys. Okay, thanks, thanks Rick. Thanks, for everybody, to everybody for being on the show. I'm just going to say until next week, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much. 